0: Hello, and welcome to the Folk Music Podcast. My name is Anders, and in this episode, I'm speaking with my good friend Hans Martin Austestad. Hans Martin is a multi-talented guy wearing many different hats. He is a singer, he's a songwriter, he's a producer, and he's a great banjo player. And it's the banjo that sits at the center of our conversation today. Hans Martin has a similar background to me as he was trained as a jazz musician before entering the role of folk music, and it was his discovery of the banjo that led him down that path. Now, Hans Martin is a very philosophically minded person, and our conversation, as expected, jumps around a lot, covering a wide variety of topics, including the history of the banjo, which is entangled in all sorts of social and cultural issues, uh, the state of bluegrass, what it is and what it isn't, uh, the process of adopting different kinds of musical repertoire on the banjo, Jam etiquette, musical identity, and, um, various differences between jazz music and folk music, and a bunch of other things. So uh, I really enjoyed this chat with Hans Martin, and I think you'll find it interesting whether you play the banjo yourself or not. So with all that said, here is my conversation with Hans Martin Austestad. Okay, so I'm here with Hans Martin Austestad. Thanks for coming on the show. Very nice to be here, thank you. Now I feel like this show has been uh, a long time coming. In that uh, I'm, <laughs> I've tried to get you on the show multiple times actually, but uh, I feel like uh, the challenge has been finding the right angle because you um, your work is so diverse and you wear so many hats. Like you're a performer, you're a soul artist, you're a producer, you're a teacher, you're a recording engineer, um, and uh, but. I think I have a good idea for uh, an episode today, and that is um, the banjo and how you uh, experience all the types of music um, that you have been involved in over the last 10, 20 years through the banjo. Um, So, um, yeah, I'm really excited. Why don't you start off? Give us a quick introduction Mm. for those in the audience who don't know who you are already and tell us about your relationship with the banjo.
1: Yeah, well... Uh, my name is Hans, and I'm, I am I play the banjo, um, and I started playing the banjo when I was 23 years old, so I was already pretty scholared. I was halfway into the State Academy of Music, and uh, I was studying jazz, as I know you were, too. Uh, and uh, at one point, I was just feeling that something was missing in my life. <laughs> what could it be? Uh, but it was... Uh, It was kind of a feeling that, you know, uh, the jazz teachings in school, it can be kind of ideal-less. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, I mean that, um, you know, you just try to find your own voice all the time. And you're just trying to figure out how you want things to be, but you don't have like a stance in some kind of tradition. And, uh, of course, jazz tradition has lots of these pivotal standpoints. But in like the Nordic jazz scene, I felt that, you know, being a Nordic jazz vocal vocalist, mm. it was kind of, I couldn't identify with that role. So I started uh, showing interest to like roots and blues and uh, folk music from the US because that was pretty close to African-American, but it also had some folky kinds of uh, uh, angles to it. Yeah and uh it wasn't many steps until I discovered the banjo, and I was thinking about this when we were talking about doing the podcast and talking about the banjo like how did the banjo reach a norwegian like jazz singer in two thousand and six yeah <laughs> <laughs> what how what what kind of chain of events led to that happening, and it was kind of like a wave of uh you know, folk music happening um, in the years, uh, you know, prior to 2006. Uh, and there's some big events happening uh, that had a major influence in the, you know, in the music scene in Oslo. And one of them was that movie, Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Yeah. Uh, which is a Coen Brothers movie. Mm. And it had, has lots of wonderful American folk music in the soundtrack. And the uh, T-Bone Burnett, of course, uh, produced yeah. it, and
0: uh, and the song by Dan yeah. Tominsky that uh, yeah. yeah, I can't, I don't and remember. So,
1: the, yeah, yeah uh, a man of constant sorrow. Yeah, yeah, that's the which one which <laughs> is actually like a cover song from Ralph Stanley. Uh, okay, yeah. nice. who is a an older and uh, Ralph Stanley on the soundtrack? He sings uh, that tune "O Death," which is a wonderful a cappella piece. And uh, uh, this music, it kind of grew and uh, just a couple of years later to this alison kraus had like major success with that same band mm. union station and it was kind of popularized uh without people maybe realizing it but every time you heard something that kind of sounded like bluegrass around the 2000 early 2000s uh people were like yeah th- i know this but what what is it you know yeah and uh i guess it just grew and then there's some uh, influences other influences who used uh, roots and banjo music. Uh, one of them is uh, Odnur Stoga, yeah, and he released this album called Luring in two thousand and three. Uh, and on that uh, album, they use the bass banjo and they also use uh, a banjo, and that's a banjo player called Mike Hartung, yeah, uh, who is a a producer. Uh, so. And odd o-
0: o- 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 just of o- he kind of fused a lot of American and Norwegian folk music aspects on that album. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sure we and can he plays get-, get the accordion.
1: Get yeah, as well. Yeah. <laughs> so he has this Tex-Mex thing going on. You know, mm. it sounds like or Jimenez kind of merged with some kind of a hardanger fiddle player in yeah. you know, in Telemark. Mm. Uh, so uh, to me that was a very exciting kind of identity to to you know start. Uh, mixing into what I was doing myself and um and of course I have like I'm Norwegian so I have like all these Norwegian heritage uh, angles to to my person. So finding this folk angle to to approaching music it it felt kind of familiar to me. And so uh but the, like the last nail in the coffin of finding the banjo that was actually seeing the movie Deliverance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I saw, like, uh, in, in my Christmas vacation in 2005. Mm-hmm. And my thoughts were just, I have to get one of those. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, so uh, come January, I just, uh, you know, I went down to a store called Mirbroten, mm. which is now basically closed down.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but they had, like, a selection of banjos. And so I could go to the shop and actually try a banjo. And just putting my hands on that, I just felt the connection. It was really weird. You know, I went to the shop and I tried an instrument that I'd never really held before. And just, you know, I just felt that this is what I'm supposed to do now. Uh, cool. In addition to all the other stuff. So So right. I, I just started rehearsing but, by the way, 12 I, hours a day.
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, just on on the on on the movie Deliverance, like uh, someone wrote somewhere that that movie can be largely blamed for all the banjo jokes going about, like like painting the picture of uh, of the banjo player as some inbred uh, low intelligent mm.
1: Yeah, well, and that uh, it's it's like a really uh, the banjo has a, like a horrible history, uh, but that that part of. Uh, uh, of the story of the banjo is actually like many chapters after uh you know the banjo was used as a humor instrument uh, yeah, all the way during the to min-
0: min- minstrel era and blackface yeah. and all of that stuff yeah
1: so in the 1800s um it's a really weird and uh, and complex story uh that has to do with like uh, racial boundaries and uh you know the minstrel artists they were at the same time as they were performing very like racist performances making fun of african culture mm. or african american culture they were also kind of opening doors to people getting to learn about the culture that they were kind of making fun of
0: yeah and, and, m- so- and maybe there was also like elements of envy or admiration for that uh, african american culture mixed in with uh <laughs> with all the um, the stereotypes and and the racism,
1: yeah. yeah. And there's a, there's a very interesting book about this uh, uh, that's written by an author called George Carlin, and he writes about the banjo's origins in the U.S. And there's especially one minstrel artist. It's called Joel Sweeney, um, who uh, actually was I think he was a son of a plantation owner, uh, but he had lots of social contacts with uh, you know the slaves that were working on the plantation and uh, he got to learn because they were basically like he didn't have, uh, according to this book anyways, but he didn't have um, his parents take care of him. It was actually like uh, the slaves on the plantation that were mothering him and that were, uh, that was um, teaching him things. So he actually learned to play the banjo because he was having lots of social contact and, and he just he was a very good banjo player according to the like the historical uh downwritings and uh, he uh, they we would say that he stole the music uh, or that he he took the music and he took it out to the minstrel shows um so it's very interesting because uh it was a tribute uh, but at the same time it was like these atrocities of racial injustice and differences that uh, also was a part of the picture. But in the long run, you can see that, you know, that was the beginnings of exposing uh, uh, the U.S. to African-American culture. And um, the banjo has this, like, two-sided... Like, for one thing, it's like this brilliant, amazing music that's very complex and very hard to master and especially like the old stylings of the minstrel playing and uh, the claw hammer playing it's uh, it's completely like cryptic for someone who hasn't been into that before
0: yeah so yeah so no i my aim for this episode was to not make it into a, like a banjo 101 history yeah. thing because uh, there's plenty of those up on youtube but um, all of this is super fascinating, and as you say, like the banjo has this—it takes elements from African American culture and also from like uh, European culture, especially from the from the British Isles, and, and melts everything together into um, styles that I would recognize as like old time and and after a while like bluegrass. But let's let's just start in the other end, like when you first bought that banjo at uh, yeah. Where did, you, where did you go from there? Like what kind of music did you try to play on it or, or how did you go about learning it?
1: Yeah, well, I actually have like uh, the email uh, that I sent myself with a couple of tunes that I was supposed to check out because I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who knew some of the tunes that you could start off with. So I'd written Earl Shrugs, mm-hmm. not Scrugs, but Shrugs because yeah. I'd written it wrong. <laughs> and then I'd written... Anything that uh, contains the word breakdown. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or uh, anything that has the word creek. (laughs) So I learned like Cripple Creek and Salt Creek, and these are like beginner's tunes for the banjo. And then I started uh, playing like Earl Scruggs tunes and stuff. And, uh, but I think one of the important things, you know, all of these banjo, amazing American banjo players that have been very important. Uh, you could just list them up and, and everybody kind of knows who they are if they're into the banjo previously. But what n- not many people know about is like that there was a community in Oslo and um, around uh, like um, a, a kind of a bluegrass scene growing uh, at that period of time. So there were bands like uh, one band in Norway called Ila Uttu, and they won like a Norwegian Grammy. Uh, I think it was the spring of 2006 and uh, there no, was this these fe- other bands fe-
0: festival down in Risør as well the bluegrass festival
1: yeah I and never... I think the Risør bluegrass festival it was founded in 2001 yeah um yeah by a guy called Dagfinn Pedersen who also was an important influence to uh, bringing european bands up to Norway okay so there were lot lots of like Czech bands coming up to Norway uh and from eastern europe g-runs and roses and uh, bluegrass (laughs) and bands like that so uh and that was amazing you know because uh, you know the craftsmanship of uh, the players that was from that area and that came up to play was just like you know getting the source right into your you know your own community so uh, watching these players play and being able to jam with them at night uh, at Riesør was a major part of learning lots of the, about the music. And you have to mention also, like, there was a Norwegian band that was very important and very influential at that point. And that was uh, Terje Chin and Knut Hemm, Øystein Fosshagen, yeah. uh, Håkon Asklan. Uh, and they, uh, basically, they've been the backing band to a very famous Norwegian uh, kind of bluegrass humorist uh type of uh player called ostein Sunde. um yeah and uh, these players they were kind of like the community they were like the you know the godfathers of the genre at that yeah
0: time. and and they they all i mean they go back to the to the folk boom back in the seventies uh, right the yeah. and, and these people
1: yeah and 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 i talked to Kari Svensson, who is another banjo player that's uh, been famous for you know uh, doing some acting on tv and stuff and and uh, she was one of the first banjo players around and she learned the banjo from playing you know to lp records and stuff and had to mm. learn the hard way yeah <laughs> uh, but what's interesting from on my part is that i think i'm probably maybe the last banjo player in norway Uh, didn't have access to YouTube (laughs) Uh, because YouTube it it was just releasing around those parts like 2005 2006 so it 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 wasn't all those interesting videos wasn't up yet so so I had to go buy a book uh, and I had to buy CDs and and, you know do my research in other ways than just finding a channel and having someone tell me what to do
0: Mm. it's it's very different now like the kids have it so easy these days
1: yeah, <laughs> or
0: maybe not. It's different anyway.
1: so no, <clears throat> everything is easier to learn, harder to make money from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so but um, but so your first um, the first kind of music that you that you um kind of discovered and experienced through the banjo would be like uh what what I will typically associate with the banjo, which is like the bluegrass music and like yeah, what is bluegrass?
1: Well bluegrass is uh, in Norway it's a very misused term because bluegrass is basically uh, the legacy music from Bill Monroe and then we're back on you know the heritage of the genre but uh, Bill Monroe was like the father of bluegrass and um, he had a duo with his brother called Charlie Monroe and They were kind of speeding up old instrumentals and old, like Irish tunes and old, uh, uh, you know, country tunes. And they were just playing them very fast. And then when they split up, Bill Monroe started a new band and he called it Bill Monroe and his Bluegrass Boys. Mm. And the Bluegrass genre is kind of based around his ideals. And the unique thing about his instrument and his instrumentation is that he had this F style mandolin you know, with a swirl mm. on the body. And uh, and that, it, that mandolin sounded kind of different from other mandolins. And uh, uh, it kind of sounds, it has a brighter, like more snare sound. And so he built everything up on like him being the snare and then the bass being like a bass drum and uh, the banjo being like a hi-hat, basically. Yeah. So making everything just groove internally in the instrumentation. And kinda, uh, kinda uh, Monroe, st- st- standardize, I guess. standardize
0: standardized the whole, uh, yeah, the whole the sound in a way.
1: <clears throat> yeah, it, it became like a a perfect match of different sounds. And you know, m- like mixing bluegrass music, if you're going to do it very traditionally, mm-hmm. it's kind of it makes sense because you have the bass on the bottom, and then you have the guitar, and it kind of o- interlaps, and then above that you have the banjo, and then above that you have the mandolin. And then you have the fiddle. So the yeah. frequencies are kind of like perfectly interweaving. And mm. it makes it like this plastic groove, uh, acoustic groove machine. Mm. And that's basically like what I believe Bill Monroe, what was the genius about that was that he, he kind of just made something really work. And it, it worked at an acoustic level as well. Uh, as long as the pitch or the tunings were high. Okay. So that's why almost every Bill Monroe song it's up in B or b flat, okay uh which is a nightmare for the fiddle players, yeah <laughs> uh so lots of like the bluegrass fiddle playing it's you know it's all in position, there's no loose strings um so uh that's a struggle for like uh folk violin players to like jump into a bluegrass song oh that's interesting. Yeah, but but yeah. would th- would they also incorporate, like, improvised solos
0: and stuff at that point? Because that's where yeah. I feel like bluegrass kind of <clears throat> starts to border uh, more towards the world of jazz and blues yeah. with those, like, improvised solos with clear, uh, like, blues tonality mixed in with the whole uh, Celtic, yeah, yeah. that's...
1: So, yeah, but but that's, uh, I think that's a good observation, you know, because uh, lots of people, they have kind of uh, compared bluegrass to country as bebop to swing jazz. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just speeding up everything and everything's just becoming more virtuosic. But uh, one thing about bluegrass that I think is different, at least on the older tunes, is that the element of improvisation wasn't that, uh, you know... Uh, not everyone in the group would improvise. There would never be a guitar solo. Uh, the mandolin solo would usually be like the melody that he'd played in his certain way to bring out everything on the instrument. The banjo player would usually have his break, and that's what you call it. Like a banjo solo is like a break. Uh, and uh, the fiddle player would, you know, often maybe be the one improvising. And the reason for that is that they recruited fiddle players from the jazz scene. Uh, So lots of, you know, jazz fiddler players that weren't able to get jobs, they were like lying and saying that, yeah, I'm a bluegrass fiddler. (laughs) Like uh, Kenny Baker is one of the most uh, famous ones. And there's like this famous story about him, you know, lying his way into the bluegrass boys. Uh, (laughs) So the fiddle players, they they would usually have some like improvisational chops from from their schooling in jazz. Hmm.
0: Uh,
1: so it's not until later, you know, that the, the banjo players started to, like, become really free. Uh, uh, I th- I guess, like, Bela Fleck and that, you know, around the mid-70s, mm-hmm. something started to happen with Bela Fleck and a couple of other players, Alan Mundy, Tony Trishka, stuff like that. They started that to, like...
0: Break out of the, the sort of strict... Um, what do you say? um foundation of the bluegrass formula like yeah. well, at 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 what point do, does it stop being bluegrass i suppose yeah
1: that's like a, <laughs> a philosophical question yeah it's like it's, uh, the question about what's jazz and what's not jazz yeah i mean if you but, add a drummer like, is, it, is it still bluegrass <clears throat> no no, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, uh, but it's like a uh, lots of people they just have um, um they have this uh, uh, urge to to you know define bluegrass as you know within the confoundries of uh, Bill Monroe's uh, style, and if you do something else, it's like it is bluegrass, but it's kind of second stream bluegrass, third stream bluegrass, and that's what they call it. Uh, and then you have the term newgrass. Uh, so yeah, so it's uh, and newgrass is kind of defined that it's improvisational and maybe that they're jamming. Uh, lots more than playing tunes, uh, yeah. And then you have that's just a whole another direction of. Um... And I mean, like the, the the scene that you were talking
0: about earlier in the early two thousands with uh, Alison Krause and Union Station. I mean, they would play mostly uh, like newly written pop songs on their albums, wouldn't they? Like with still with the yeah. very polished <clears throat> blue bluegrass sound.
1: Yeah. So they would write. Uh, I think, uh, in my opinion, at least, they would write new tunes or they would write arrangements to older tunes with kind of like smart sounds and they would do like some pop tricks to, you know, to reach a wider audience. Uh, But the players in the bands uh, there, they would be like uh, Nashville, like uh, studio musicians and uh, some of them from like the old bluegrass scene. Mm. Alison Krauss herself, she was um, widely known as a fiddle player uh, before she was uh, discovered more as a, like a brilliant uh, lead yeah. singer. Mm. So, yeah. So, but that was like major influence on us in Norway. And, and, you know, it was just a wave of different bands that started playing bluegrass at the same time. Mm. And um, so we got to be a part of that wave. I, I started the band myself. You know, I'd practiced for, I guess, one month. And then I was like, okay, I'm ready. I should put put together a band. And and by coincidence, you know, I already knew uh, a dobro player about the same level as me. We could learn to play together. Mm-hmm. And a guitar player. And a fiddle. And then we, like, begged a mandolin player and a bass player to join. And then <laughs> finally we're, we could be a band, so.
0: Yeah. And, like, at what point... Uh, Did you, or is there a point in this journey that you kind of felt that, okay, now I'm deep enough into the tradition, now I want to find my own voice? As I mean, as you alluded to earlier, like, the part of the reason why you kind of left, or you didn't feel at home in the jazz scene in Norway at that point is that everyone was just looking for their own voice without, like, no grounding in anything. Like, so, I mean, I can... Kind of relate because I also was a part of the jazz scene at that point, and I I felt like uh, I I kind of missed that so, sort of like grounding in a tradition. I was very much into the hard bop and like um, soul jazz kind of thing with the Hammond organ and everything, but yeah. th- the scene wasn't really in- into that at that point, and yeah, uh, so that that's I think that that that's that's what really um, interested me about uh, folk music. Uh, for me, Irish folk music and Celtic music Is that Was like a very um, a, a tradition there With f- fairly like easy to grasp uh, um, Rules or like a Structure that I could just like Be a part of uh, And that yeah. was my initial reason for For entering the scene And later I I still had this urge to like Okay, now I need to do something Personal with it Uh, And I guess you came to the same uh, realization at some point.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was uh, a process of, uh, you know, uh, playing uh, lots of cover tunes and like discovering new tunes and finding that some of the tunes were working very well uh, within our group. So I've always been, you know, because I'm really a schooled singer, I was uh, very into like finding the good tunes that have some kind of you know, surprise in the harmony. Um, so we found, we, we like, we were searching within the 70s repertoire. We were searching for these tunes that had these quirky chords and stuff and copying that, like, tunes like Redwood Hill uh, is one of them. Uh, another one is Fox on the Run. Uh, and uh, at, at a point, I just realized that, okay, these chords are like the... Maybe the 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 chords that that interest me, like in making vocal harmonies and stuff. Is, and is that so something I you
0: st- could? So, so, me. Is that something you could show on the banjo right now?
1: Um, yeah, I could probably. Uh, I won't be singing today though, <laughs> because my voice isn't
0: very no, good. No, your sounds almost like, like as the, bad as mine.
1: It's not. It's not like uh, you know the main chords of the banjo. is like the loose strings. I guess I have it tuned up. like a standard G tuning and uh, like the main chords in a G tuning would be G and C and D you know and the reason for that being the main chords in this tuning is obviously that uh, you know you have loose strings but what other uh, chords can you find within the loose string system that's like the main objective and uh, so that's like where I found my interest in you know what kind of chords or tunes can you play so you can play you can play G you can also play no C you can also play C minor okay so that's an interesting chord change that's like not the most obvious Uh, and another one is just from G to uh, B Mm. So that's like uh, two chords that are kind of—it's not in a lot of Bill Monroe's tunes, but they start showing up in like different country tunes, uh, and that kind of, uh, you know, chord changes would be something that would interest me. Another one is E flat, yeah, like Star Wars theme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. So just discovering all these uh, chord changes that are kind of idiomatic to the instrument and yeah. powerful and then trying to just uh, change these around and then make up tunes that maybe uh, can sound interesting. That was like my beginnings. It's not very fancy. It's it's not really like very in, uh, ingenuitive either. It's just like an intuitive thing that's, you know, if we can make these melodies, uh, you know, sound a bit more surprising and put vocal harmonies on there, that'll probably be something that's very fun uh, to listen to. So, yeah. So...
0: And, like, the band you're talking about that you were in at the the time is is a band called Early Bird String Band, right?
1: Yeah. So, at that point, we we didn't have any... um, Uh, like ambition on behalf of the band it was just like a second instrument band that we played for fun so we called the band we decided to call the band something that nobody was going to be able to to say so the first name of that band was colonel laceration and his bluegrass weasel division yeah (laughs) Uh, because we were just joking around and you know just having fun with it if we sometime would play a concert someone would have to say like introduce us and it would be impossible. <laughs> uh and uh it wasn't until we actually made a record that I uh, started writing songs seriously for the for the band and we also found that we had we should probably change the name to something that our m- mothers can pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So then we ended up with Early Bird String Band. And you um, were quite successful at the time as well. Yeah, well it was a struggle, you know. We we recorded our first record in, I guess, 2009. And we were, like, going around fishing for record deals for a, a year. And we were just, uh, you know, turning up with lots of no's. And people were like, yeah, but, you know, you already have these other bands that are around. Um, but then we were lucky. And um, a Norwegian pop artist that was very popular at that time called Tom Hell. He went to one of our shows and he said you have to get a record deal I'm gonna set you up with a meeting with a record company that that I give publish my music through and uh, he set us up with a meeting and then we had a deal uh, with something called voices of wonder and uh, I still put out my records there and I'm putting out one now in February uh, I've been um, yeah collaborating with them for 10 years actually so great so, yeah, so uh, we had a record deal and we put out the, you know, the record and uh, we got lots of great reviews and stuff. And, and uh, at the end, we also, like, had a Grammy nomination, a Norwegian one. Uh, and uh, that kind of flipped us over the struggle part of, uh, you know, just getting to, f- you know, feel comfortable about, you know, putting out your own music <laughs> in a... Yeah, and maybe you
0: <laughs> entered the scene at kind of the right moment as well, like with uh, yeah, a bit happening in the, the, the bluegrass world. And...
1: Actually, I, I felt that we, we were kind of maybe wasting some time uh, in that we were actually pretty ready to record before we got to do it. Um, but uh, I I think one of the reasons why we spent time was kind of finding some kind of identity in in uh, our playing and uh, mixing like uh, Norwegian sounds with the uh, the bluegrass sounds. Uh, we usually like implemented a Norwegian a Norwegian instrumental uh, on our records, and uh, we also had like hardanger fiddle. And we we played and we jammed lots on Norwegian stuff.
0: Was was that new um, territory for you at the time, like uh, Norwegian traditional music?
1: Yeah, it it was a uh, a result of uh, the mandolin and fiddle player Arlen mm. Viken and Ola Christa rossebe Laffen, mm. uh, which uh, they we were went all to the same year to the state academy, and uh, they went on the folk music uh, department. So yeah. so they were taking a bachelor's degree in folk. And we, the other guys were, uh, you know, taking bachelors in jazz. Mm. So um, so that was uh, a reason for why we started to, you know, mess around with folk music a lot. And, you know, I just brought the banjo to every jam session I could. And lots of these jam sessions, they were Norwegian folk sessions. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's uh, how I, like, got um, involved into playing uh, But h- how But
0: how was that experience? Like getting into the Norwegian folk scene and learning the Norwegian repertoire on the banjo, because that's not a traditional instrument in Norway.
1: Yeah, no, it's really not. And, <laughs> uh, you know, some of the rhythms are great to, you know, just, uh, you know, mooch off the groove <laughs> yeah. with, uh, coming, coming with your banjo and others are really a struggle. So, uh, There are like these, you know, Rheinländer that would work pretty well. And, you know, all of the associated grooves that are, you know, symmetrical, like uh, a gangar, uh, uh, which is a dance tune that's, you know, often 4-4. Maybe it's like triplets if it's a rull, uh, uh, but a rull also works fine. It's like a triplet driven dance tune from the Western parts, actually the parts where I'm from. Those kinds of of uh, grooves will be, you know, I wouldn't call it simple because it has its uh, small quirks and small like uh, tripping treads, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, it it will work, you know, just playing some polite banjo on that stuff. Sure. But then you have like the asymmetrical stuff, like uh, sp- the different kinds of Taylor springer or v- v- valdre springer. Um, and uh you have spring lack which is like my nemesis yeah. that groove is <laughs> yeah it's that's one that that one is like the hard one it's three but you don't play the second yeah so that's just defined by you know some kind of telekinesis or something yeah so and that's um, really hard to play for an instrument that's just basically like a drum with strings mm. like you're mostly like subdividing some kind of a groove. Yeah. Um, uh, so, trying to stay out of the important groove elements, but still contributing to the flow, that's like basically uh, a very polite way to enter the the genre with the banjo. Mm. Um, but but you know anything about like is is there
0: some history of the banjo being used in Norwegian folk music in in the last century? Do you know anything about that?
1: Yes. Uh, you could say that uh, Banjo uh and Eystein Sunde—they were kind of meddling with uh, playing some Norwegian instrumentals. Uh, I haven't actually heard like a bona fide uh, recording of them doing a folk, like a real folk tune, but it's more like um, you know mashing it up. Yeah. Um folk rock and style. And also huh? Lille, Lillebjorn Nilsson, which is another Norwegian player he yeah. actually learned from to play the same claw- era claw like
0: hammer. the uh, 60s and 70s the, the folk boom
1: yeah and uh, and he he was a part of that and he also learned to play clawhammer or like strumming from Pete Seeger because he knew Pete yeah. Seeger personally okay cool because he translated a couple of his tunes so they had contact and then oh, nice. he he yeah he became a close friend to Pete Seeger so
0: for any non-norwegian listeners we'll make sure to link to all of these uh these yeah. wonderful Norwegian <laughs> artists in the show notes. Um, yeah, sure.
1: So, so that's like uh, some of the some of the you know musicians that had played, uh, you know, the banjo players that had meddled with Norwegian folk music, and I guess I have to then mention like Taria Chin, who was backing. Øystein Sunde And mm. kind of stepping in Because Bela Fleck did play on some of eusten Sunde's records Yeah,
0: he had some incredible lineups on his early records Yeah,
1: yeah he basically had like the A-team of the bluegrass uh, world yeah. Playing on some of his early records Yeah, but then, and they sound uh, really,
0: really good Like, yeah, I I re- revisit them every now and then It's like, like as you say, he's kind of a He's a, he's a funny artist, like he sings funny songs But the yeah. quality of the music is just it really grooves.
1: Yeah. And he has this amazing technique playing the guitar. And he also played, used to play the banjo. Yeah. Uh, but I think he, I, f- I heard somewhere that, you know, he just felt that he had to do it all the time to keep a level up. So yeah. he stopped doing that live. Mm-hmm. But now he has Sarje Chin, who does an amazing job, of course. So And uh, they they play some, like, Norwegian-influenced stuff. Uh I was just sitting, I'm making this karaoke thing for Riksen, Uh You have to, where we have had, to
0: ex- explain what that is.
1: Yeah, well, we actually we were making this folk music karaoke thing where we take like these mm, tunes that you would never think was translatable to a karaoke setting. No. <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of uh, translating everything, you know, all the different quirky rhythms and stuff to MIDI. And uh, I was just sitting the other day and uh, transcribing some of the... Uh, like an Øystein Sunde tune that's um, that has like a Norwegian banjo styling thing. So, so Øystein Sunde definitely had some of these uh, influences early on. But um, I would say that uh, you know, the doing kind of the in-depth uh, playing that I've been trying to do, that was not something I could find in the Norwegian style. No. So, But you can find, like, American players delving into Irish music or even, like, uh, um, Baskin music, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so you have these bluegrass players that are very interested in other kinds of genres. Uh, for instance, you can say that um, Punch Brothers, they have this, uh, on one of their records, they play a Wesen um, tune called Flippen. Uh, so the American bluegrass players, they have some examples of, you know, taking something into their own. Yeah. Elements of
0: classical music. Uh, I've heard a lot, I feel. Yeah. In, in yeah. The Soron- that's like
1: a, having Bela Fleck playing Paganini or something like that. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's pretty yeah. incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, the thing is that Norwegian music is kind of less accessible. So that's been kind of unmarked territory. Um, So we started doing that and we put out the third record we put out with the Herlebird String Band. We called it Lasso Folk Mm. because kind of like mixing the lasso cowboy, uh, but also Sami (laughs) heritage, uh, but with uh, like folk, uh, like uh, the folk uh, um, genre. Mm. And our objective for that record was kind of trying to make it sound natural, like it was supposed to be that way. Uh, but that was a struggle to to you know make those kinds of rhythms and stuff fit for the banjo and yeah and also uh, the dobro player he was like he was very bummed out (laughs) during the all the rehearsal periods because it's it's just it's not that idiomatic you know Uh, no no that's I mean I I play a fair share
0: of instruments myself these days and I feel like every time I learn a new instrument, I tend to also learn um, or get into a new genre of music. That's or that's usually my reason for learning a new instrument. Might be different yeah. for other people, but when I wanted to get into Irish music, I uh, that's when I I um, picked up the accordion and after some while the whistle and I, I'm sure I could probably learn to play bluegrass on the piano. But um, yeah, I suppose yeah, bluegrass there, on I, the
1: piano is like. That territory is kind of like it. It very quickly becomes some kind of like Western parlor piano thing, yeah, or maybe like a ragtime, yeah, because uh, those styles that some...
0: they kind of fit together. You you can mash them together, but yeah, uh, it might still be real. Like I I I I've yet to hear like the harmonica sound really good in a bluegrass band for example like i've heard many attempts but uh, it's it's really tricky well, i played the yeah. harmonica myself as well so i made a few yeah. attempts myself but it's it's really hard to get that whole banjo kind of rolling pattern into that yeah. into that instrument so there's definitely some idiomatic challenges with yeah. with instruments
1: <clears throat> yeah sure and uh, but i know that Blue, uh, bill monroe used sometimes had like a harmon- harmonica player on some of his tunes but it, it's like more a rhythmic role than a melodic role mm. i think on some of the some of the early bluegrass recordings um i think mike steven's but, uh, have you heard of him uh, no no
0: uh, you should check him out. He he might be uh, oh um, I'm, I'm I might be Mike St- Mike Stevenson. Mike Stevens. Yeah. Steve Mikins <laughs> something yeah. like that Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, he's he, he's a great player. He's he's he I think he he at least did a um, a very um, a good attempt on sounding like a banjo on the harmonica. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I, yeah. And and also cool. also that's it can be interesting it can open new doors like what you were doing like attempting to uh, to to learn the norwegian repertoire on the banjo yeah uh, like i mean i had I've, i recently put out an album with um, folk tunes from my home area Engerdal uh, together yeah. with a fiddler called Sigrid Stubsvann and uh, i mean the harmonica does have a long history in norwegian folk music but uh, more in the kind of um uh, newer style as you alluded to with the Rhinelanders and Polkas and uh, at least I didn't have uh, any road map or anything when it came to uh, adopting the Fiddler repertoire from this area to the Harmonica. Um, So there is it it is something really or it is a challenge that I kind of enjoy. Uh, I realize, like, fine, okay, okay, no one has probably done this before. How... I'm the first yeah. one to try like how how yeah, can it yeah. be done
1: like Yeah and that's I think that's like uh that's one of the reasons why I felt that you know the delving into the material of the banjo playing hasn't really been done very thorough before when I when I started working on that and I had a you know access to folk musicians who could show me how they play and what's the thing what what are they interested in you know playing the fiddle or playing the mandolin uh uh, you know playing norwegian folk tunes what's their approach Mm. and one of the things that i found or that you know it's i didn't find it it's just there Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's uh you know having several strings playing the same tone and having uh, strings drawn you know Uh, having strings just uh, being open all the time and and making sure that they get to that they get to uh, sound. So that's some of the things. You do that on the banjo, you know. One of the most classic, like, banjo intros is like... Yeah. Yeah, so... That's like a drone uh, concept. Yeah. But you can... You you have all these drone concepts on different tunes, and uh, in Norwegian it's like... And I'm not playing this like on one string. I'm playing it like on every other string. And when I play it, it's like uh, some of the strings get to, you know, sound at the same time. And this uh, kind of uh, illuminates the melody in a different way than if you do. Of course, so. And I think that's like a major, like, Uh, element of trying to play Norwegian folk on the banjo is like uh, having the strings that doesn't have to be dampened they should just be open and just sound and it'll make everything sound more powerful so which would sound completely different if I played it like a single string melody sure yeah yeah, so that's, like, been one of my major uh, interests in trying to find tunings that allow me to, you know, play uh, in a certain way that that's, sounds, like, pleasurable, a- <laughs> and even playing alone, you know? But, I mean, uh, that tune the...
0: sounds like it was written for the banjo, honestly, like, <laughs> yeah. it sounds great.
1: Yeah, it kind of does, and and <laughs> this is a, a tune from, uh, like, the south of Norway, from Agder, um... And, uh, you know, it probably has some origin from another place, uh, but it's like the Norwegian way of playing it. And, Mm. uh, you know, so listening to the different violin players and and folk players um, uh, playing Norwegian folk music, you could really find a concept in the playing that you kind of, you have to kind of uh, try to illuminate the you know, the, the emotion coming from the instrument and see if it's translatable to your instrument. Yeah. And uh, playing single string stuff is not going to do that. No. Um, that's going to sound like a different concept. Uh, and you play the banjo more like a guitar player. Mm. Um, so um, I've been working lots on, like, translating these things and finding, like, positions that, that are workable uh, for different tunes. And what I find is that, you know, in Norwegian folk you have to tune your banjo a lot more than you you might have if you were lazy and just, you know, playing single string stuff. So,
0: well yeah, you have to make it sound yeah, uh
1: to make it sound right. So you have mm-hmm. like one tuning and it, it could be two different tunes and then you have to tune another way to like make it sound right.
0: Um yeah. So
1: yeah. So that's like a challenge, but it it's also what makes it fun and it's also the reason why you can uh you know defend having five banjos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because then you can have like that's my low tuning. Yeah. That one is my hardanger fiddle tuning. There you go. Uh yeah.
0: That's that's the good thing about being a multi-instrumentalist like it gets expensive.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's kind of sad really, but uh, you know, uh but uh, people, you know, if I demonstrate, most people understand, you know, the reason behind and stuff, but um, you also have to maintain all your instruments as well. And uh...
0: Yeah, I mean, the struggle is real. I mean, I, I play uh, quite a few instruments and like in that project, I play that instrument and in this other project, I might play an instrument only on like two songs in the entire set but i still need that instrument to be a great instrument i need to have a good yeah. solution for like micing it up or like a good yeah. sound uh, solution for sound and i need to have uh, maintain it and like it's uh there's a lot of costs of like uh, maintaining a, a big instrument park and i mean yeah. you're also a studio owner so i, I like you know yeah. you know what it's all about like
1: yeah well it's like <laughs> you just realize right before you need the instrument that this instrument it needs a lot of care and I yeah. don't have time to take care no. of it now. And that's like when you ha- uh, end up in a, like a downward spiral. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've been trying, I, I just try to keep my instruments, uh, you know, played. So I I have like this rotation that I put them out and I just keep them uh-huh. in, in eye's view. And by that way, I can make sure that I play all the instruments within a year. I've like touched all the instruments and I know about what state they're in but I yeah. do have like my main instruments and of course and uh, yeah so but yeah.
0: Uh, like um, okay uh, going uh, taking one step further like um, I mean I've heard you use the banjo in many different situations and sounds like not just strictly folk music uh, Is can you say an, anything about that like Does it open some new doors, or does it give you uh, a secret weapon as a producer and as as an artist?
1: Yeah, well, the thing about that the particular banjo tune or sound is that it has like this uh, kind of airiness to it. Not airy, but eerie. Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of you know intimidating. Mm -hmm. Uh, because it, it has, if you play it like, uh, quietly, it can sound very like a a stranger's guitar, you know? Mm. Uh, so that has a powerful effect in some kinds of, uh, you know, in some kinds of, uh, music and also like adding lots of effects, like having a really long reverb to just a small banjo pinch. It can make uh it can make a very big difference in a in a s you know soundscape yeah, so I do some of that and uh and also it's like uh, the banjo can contribute to a groove in a very you know different way than most other instruments yeah,
0: yeah it's, so, it's, I don't play the banjo obviously, but it seems like the way you play it is like very uh, obviously very different from a guitar in that you have that rolling flowing thing. Uh, it's it's a very yeah. r- it's very rhythmic and melodic at the same time, uh, just by the nature of the instrument. It seems.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the the you know, f- I, there's probably some listeners that uh, don't really know that much about the banjo, but like the three finger style, the the you have three fingers that you play. Uh, you have a thumb pick, and you have a pick on your index, and you have a pick on your middle finger. And so if you're going to play in a you know symmetric measure like 4/4 four, four, mm-hmm. some syncopation is going to have to happen to make this you know add up. Yeah. So that's why you like 1 2 1 2 3 1 2 3 1 2 1 2 3 1 2 3 And this brings kind of like a calypso And you know that's uh, the thing that you do, like a banjo player, you kind of subdivide and you find different rhythmic patterns, and maybe you could like bake the melody into those, uh, those, uh, you know, um, those patterns, and uh, and that's a strength uh, for the music. And um, but it, it it takes kind of uh, you have to use lots of your brain power to make that you know work. Uh, so and I also sing at the same time uh, when I play the banjo. Most times when I play the banjo, so that's been like a, a struggle to you know just figure out something that can just flow. Mm. So so that's like uh, some of the like arpeggiating things, and then you have like melodic uh, runs and stuff. Which looks totally cryptic if you see me play it, because I play, like, one string and then another string instead of just playing it. Um, So,
0: yeah. But that's to to have the strings ring, in a way? That's why it's done that way, is it?
1: Yeah, but it's also, like, because you then use uh, every other finger also, so you're able to maintain speed because you're not, like, repeating yourself in just one string. So you can kind of incorporate... You know, so you can just find these melodies within the idiomatics of the instrument, and that's uh, that's a uh, part of uh, the banjo thing. That's I guess it's kind of borrowed from uh, classical guitar players, actually, because classical guitar players oftentimes do that. Yeah, and one of the banjo players who introduced this kind of uh, style was called Bill Keith. Um, who i actually had the pleasure of meeting once and uh, that was very fun in, cool. uh, in the netherlands uh he was um like a at a regular bluegrass festival down there mm. regular yeah at uh at the bluegrass festival down there a very nice guy who passed unfortunately but uh but he was like uh, a member of the bluegrass boys so that was a big thing getting to meet meet one of those guys and yeah talking about the banjo a bit and, yeah,
0: yeah that's that's always nice meeting your heroes <clears throat> Yeah, like, it is. I, if if you manage to like say anything useful at all, I tend to like be turned into uh, just a um, just a fool usually. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Getting starstruck from people that no one knows. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> yeah. like a part of being <laughs> a folk musician. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's probably like a, a major sign that I am actually a folk musician. Mm-hmm. It is uh, that I get starstruck by, you know. Yeah. Old women and men playing weird yeah. <laughs> instruments.
0: <laughs> but that's also interesting. Like at what point did you start um seeing yourself as a folk musician? Uh
1: I actually uh I, I it was the flip of the banjo that probably did like the major job in doing that. But I have this, you know, definition struggle with folk music myself because To me, folk music, and this is something that I've heard several podcasts and several interviews talk about, what is folk music? Because to me, like the music, the jazz music that I was inspired of, it's kind of folk music uh, because it's kind of like the orally, you know, uh, delivered uh, different kinds of playing that, that you can just learn by just listening and joining in. Yeah. Uh and lots of the jazz music back in the day it was like that and that's kind of like the jazz music that's been closest to my heart. It's not like the major triad uh uh modulation jazz music. It's been more like the the yeah, like the Nat King Cole stuff and uh you know, Chet Baker and stuff like that and it's kind of like Tin Pan Alley tunes that you might also maybe find in bluegrass. Like yeah, an example of that would be the tune that's called "The Careless Love," which is it's a jazz tune, but it's a bluegrass tune as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I mean, so, we're, we're
0: we're sorry, but uh, I mean, we're both Norwegians, and like in Norway, I feel like we have a like um our definition of folk music or like folk music in Norwegian is is a lot m- more narrow than in the English speaking world. Yeah. Uh, so. I don't, has, I don't know if that has an impact on
1: how you view yourself as a musician. Yeah. I think, like, the Norwegian folk music uh, term is pretty political. Okay. Uh, because it has some kind of like identity layers to it. And obviously, because we're a very young nation. So, uh, the Norwegian folk music term is kind of defining what's unique for our music within our boundaries and how do we live in pact with our local culture and our nature and all that and uh, you know for a country like the US where which is also kind of young but it's kind of like a melting pot of different cultures mm. the the politicizing has a different flavor yeah you know so the folk music thing is more like handmade natural uh you know the the old poets that you know yeah uh, tra- traveled alongside the ro- alongside the roads and and you know uh, it has this you know uh, folkloristic uh, side to it that's different from the norwegian identity yeah. thing
0: but also on the um, british isles i i feel like like uh, folk gets used uh, to describe almost anything from like bob dylan to martin hayes uh, yeah although it's and, obviously but you can
1: kind of uh, You know, you can kind of relate to it as well uh, because it it has something to do with, you know, just the player and the instrument and, you know, being able to convey a certain kind of groove and melody. Yeah. And and maybe tell a story. Uh, Yeah. So that's a part of it. But in my, like, philosophizing over what I think folk music is, there's a very important, you know... uh, extremely important um, um, element that is uh, the room, you know, you're you playing acoustically in a room and the room is kind of maybe even the instrument itself, the room you're playing. So it's kind of deep because, uh, you know, you're playing, I'm playing the banjo, but the room I'm playing the banjo in is a definite part of uh, you know the concept of what the music sounds like and uh, as opposed to... i think that's as opposed to like if you're playing an electric guitar and you're you're also playing a room but you, and then you have like an electric element that you're projecting into a room or maybe even out on a field on a rock festival thing so i think like the cultivation of the folk music genres is very much confined to, like, we had this place where we used to go and dance. Uh, We had this chapel that we used to go and sing. Uh, So the room is actually a very important part of, like, the instrument. And not just any room, but, like, that room is a big part of this local culture. Mm. Um, And that's a way to think about Norwegian folk music, at least, that I think is a bit less identity politics uh uh defining or well, that's a very loaded word by the way but <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh, 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 it's less uh, like about the, the, our national uh you know our national uh heritage. identity mm. and more about our local heritage and local identity because yeah. uh i think like The rooms that you have in your local community is a very big part of your folk music tradition. Mm. Um, And I guess that's, you know, that has to be the case as well for the pubs in Ireland uh, and England. And uh, uh, like where you play is almost as much a part of the music as how you play. Uh, Because maybe how you play is just formed by where you play and who's there. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's an interesting point.
1: And uh, I think, like, uh, that's also a thing. We don't have these, you know, stages uh, for folk music, or we didn't used to have it, mm. you know? So the actual noise of the other people in the same room was also influencing how you would play the, the tunes and the melody. Yeah,
0: so, I mean, you couldn't afford to have the same level of dynamics, perhaps, as classical music, who was, yeah. like, made to be performed to an... To preferably a quiet audience, I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, and and that's a, a thing about like the difference between like power folk music and like stage folk music is that you can take it down to a very low level. Yeah. But you're still you're kind of taking the music that's developed in an environment where you're not that much listening, uh, where it's kind of a, a part of the community, and and you're taking it down to a level where people are supposed to listen. Yeah, um, and that's a stage thing, but you also have a tradition for that in Norwegian folk music called liarlot, yeah, which is directly translated uh, a tune that you're supposed to listen to. Yeah, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> yeah, supposed to so, shut up. Yeah. yeah, so so you have that in folk music as well, but it's, uh, I think, like the a big part of the the folk music sound is defined by you know the room and the like that the audience kind of it's it's not like stage music
0: no um like just yeah. on on the notes that just like you you have a similar tradition in in the irish scene with like the, the obviously the, like the ballads that that are sung a cappella in, in jam sessions like when everyone when when everyone is playing uh, the dance tunes together in the jam like the, the noise can often be like quite high <laughs> but whenever someone uh sings um uh, a ballad a cappella then yeah. The idea is that everyone should like just uh yeah. shut up and listen and then they can sing very dynamically and yeah.
1: So, and yeah, that's quite and interesting. that happens in the pubs, right? So it does, and yeah. this also happens in the Norwegian folk jams. Like you're playing and everyone's like it's five scorching fiddles and people are dancing, and then it's like this singer coming <laughs> and then suddenly like everyone shuts up and yeah. it's very quiet and it's you know beautiful. And that's a like a a very nice thing about folk music but i think like the these singing traditions then they're mostly maybe developed uh, or the tradition for them they were in the environments of maybe singing to your child when your child was going to bed or yeah. sitting in your living room and entertaining your family with a story of some kind of you know folkloristic harp that turned into a monster and yeah yeah like all you know fairy tales so yeah so the singing traditions they have these listening uh uh you know things that that you that you have to put in as a part of what folk music is uh and it's still like it can maybe be summarized to being about the room that's that the music is meant for
0: so i also sometimes i it feels like uh like what we end up defining as folk music depends very much on who is playing it. Like, uh,
1: yeah.
0: at least in the Norwegian scene, it. Uh, I often hear people play things that might just as well have come from someone in, in the contemporary jazz scene, but because they have a background or they originally come from the folk music uh, community, then we see it as folk music. And, they can play at the folk music festivals and they're kind of still part of that community. Yeah. Um. So <clears throat> I, I guess that goes back to the, like the, the identity side of, of folk music.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a definite identity side. And I guess like that's one of my, my own feelings towards the issue that uh, I, I come from kind of jazz but I think that my attitude towards the music is more folk music than than jazz. Uh, but, you know, if a jazz musician hears me say this, you would just be able to argue, you know, that's just bullshit. Uh, but I think it's um, the identity part of, uh, you know... One of the things I like about folk music is that you can mostly uh pick up some f- some instrument and join in in some on some level yeah. uh, you can join in uh and that's uh something that jazz music is kind of like evolved beyond yeah i i I've, but, talk, you know, I've,
0: I've talked about this with other guests on the podcast as well like that um that was one of the things that really um inspired me to to enter the the folk music community and like the Irish folk music uh, community in the first place, and then later the Norwegian, that, uh, as as you said, like, the jazz jams that I were used to, it, it was very much like, um, yeah, you showed up and play a, played a solo, uh, and it was kind of intimidating, because all the spotlight were on you, and for the, like, 60 seconds you had to prove your worth. And, yeah. and, and, and also you had to know a lot in... in I felt like anyway to be able to approach yeah. the the music, whereas in traditional Irish music, I was able to, or I felt like I was able to be a part of the community at a much earlier stage. Obviously, you have to like um, judge the different situations. Is this jam really for me? But <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, every music has its its codes and its etiquette, but uh, at least. Yeah. Th- for me as an outsider it felt um, very easy to like enter the that community and feel accepted and feel safe <laughs> in a way yeah um, so but i think definitely also like
1: the form of the jam sessions i guess because you can come to a jam and you can kind of sit in in the background and just join in quietly and carefully you can't really do that on a jazz stage Uh, like because the jazz jams are like on stage and there's only one person often on every instrument. So you can't like go up and just be like... Trying to play a bit of jazz drums. Yeah, (laughs) you kind of, you know, everyone on stage on a jazz jam has its, you know, it's a very specific role that has to be covered for. So it demands more uh, from the beginning in a typical jazz jam. But there are jazz jams though that aren't like that. Uh, that are like more collective, and in a like a Dixieland or a New Orleans yeah, uh, type of band, there's more collectivity to it. So, so there are these like folk music elements to the early jazz, but that's only natural because it's you know, at least for bluegrass and jazz, it's kind of like just has the same origins of, you know, post Civil War uh melting together different cultures and figuring out how can we play different stuff together sure so so the the jazz scene was like people picking up uh, old marching band instruments that were lying around after the different like uh, military m- marching bands and yeah. uh the folk instruments was like people f- you know getting uh, a hold of different instruments that that were from another tradition um so I think that's interesting. Another thing I I think is very interesting. Uh, I, I was uh, in two thousand. I think it was two thousand nine. I was uh, uh, asked to uh, um, do a audition to join a tour with the singer called Bobby McFerrin. Oh really? Um, yeah. And so Bob McFerrin, he was going on a Norwegian tour and there was this project of getting everyone to sing, you know, and there was like this big, inter- like a Nor- Norwegian national singing uh, year in 2009. And so I was one of four, like trainees that uh, assisted him in workshops and we got to sing with him on stage. And uh, an interesting thing that he said is that he considers himself a folk musician. Okay. Which is, like, uh, kind of mind-blowing. But you can also understand it because he's, like, always just meddling with, you know, trying to improvise something that isn't too advanced in, like, harmonics and stuff. But it's just some natural kinds of melodies that you can just sing with different singers. And and everyone can just join the loop. And and that was his project for lots of years. But also, he obviously, like, played with Chick Corea. And he... He like uh, conducted uh, different philharmonic orchestras and stuff. Yeah. But him saying this, even though he has this very diverse background, he considers himself a folk musician. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting. Uh, so f- I think for
0: for for him, it's more about the approach, how he approaches music. You think is that the, the idea behind yeah, it?
1: I think so, and and you know that it's kind of like a communal thing. I I remember him talking about. Uh, he was very uh, into the fact that there are some African languages that doesn't have the word perform. Uh, it isn't a part of the vocabulary. Nobody knows. What do you mean perform? Yeah. Do yeah. you mean sing and play together? Yeah, yeah. The music is just <laughs> yeah. in
0: the community. It's not. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, That's so uh, you know, on that note, it's it's uh, to me. I I feel very much the same. You know, like it's an inclusion. Uh, There's an element of inclusion that I really, really like about the folk music scene. As you also said, like you feel included Mm. in a different way, even though the folk music is extremely beautiful to listen to, you know, a master just sit and playing and just listen to the detail and the power of the music. You still like, I've been to like after parties in hotel rooms where there's like a hardanger fiddle player playing alone and everyone's listening Mm. and then someone just breaks a joke and it's okay. It's yeah. not like, like ruining anything. It's just like, you know, the shoulders are low. You know, every, everyone's kind of peers more than uh, audiences, you know. And that's sure. also something I've, I've strive for in my own, uh, like, uh, music and art. I really don't want an audience. I, I want peers. I want people to understand and, you know, feel the same way as I do. Mm. about my music so in an ideal world everyone would be musicians uh, <laughs> in my opinion you know yeah <laughs> uh, yeah or like just understand what it's about and you know be interested and uh, you know just you know have a feeling for the good in music mm. so yeah
0: yeah uh, that's really beautiful actually i i yeah uh i guess that's yeah, going back to what kind of um, can feel so um, good about folk music is that it can, well, depends. But some it can feel easy to grasp. Going, yeah, and going back to the parallels you you draw between like early jazz, like n- like that whole New Orleans jazz, it it's easy to understand. I can see it f- for people who are obviously not musicians. They kind they they dig that kind of music because it's just something about it that speaks to them. Whereas a a bebop tune or like more modern jazz thing might be um, might feel less accessible for for some people Mm, I'm not sure what kind of argument I'm making here but uh, I I feel like there's something there about playing music that you can feel uh, speaks to the people around you even though they are not musicians themselves
1: yeah well there's this one element. Now we're just ch- talking a lot about jazz and jazz is just one genre of like thousands of genres, uh, but it's very like comparable because it's, you know, it's not that far away from each other in like uh, origins, but <clears throat> in, uh, you know, every music style, it it's like when you get a feel for something, you just want more of that, that you like, that you get your feel for. Mm-hmm. And the improvisational part of jazz is like getting a feel for just the moment, you know, and just being able to just express whatever you want in that moment. Mm. Uh, And, you know, just flowing out and playing whatever comes to mind. And if you do that on a folk music jam, (laughs) you know, you'll you'll probably get, you know, someone will say, wow, you really... (laughs) <laughs> you're doing your thing there yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's not like that's not what it's about you know no it's more about like uh reproducing some kind of cultivated idea of what uh, a unity should sound like yeah whilst in jazz i think it's more like it's more individualistic uh, you know, you, in a way. everyone knows what it should sound like mm. uh, but let's do everything else than play you know yeah. the melody or yeah. the tune <laughs> Mm. You know, and that's, that's kind of, it's just different approaches, you know, Mm. at the one approach, you're kind of like working against an ideal, which is what I said earlier on, like, where you, you know, when I started playing, I just, I wanted to know where I come from before I'm starting to like finding my own voice. I just want to find, you know, what, what is actually what I'm hearing in every tune Mm. and, and how can I like cultivate my own feelings towards the identity of every song, yeah, uh, mm. every tune, and then embroidered on that. Whilst in jazz, you kind of you you play around, you know. Yeah. So and, and I mean, yeah.
0: we're we're obviously not making the point that one is better than the other. It's just
1: oh, well, absolutely not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I love jazz and I love improvising solos as well. It's just uh, it's just a different way of experiencing music for me uh, anyway.
1: Yeah. And uh, the improvisation in in folk music is like on a micro level, also. So, you know, you have all the different, like, yeah, uh, you know, stylings uh, and things. And in some traditions, I was talking to another colleague of mine about this, like, you have the liarlot thing where, uh, like, the listening tunes, Mm. yeah, the listening tunes where, where the thing is, you know, to embroider as much as you can or like embroider all the beauty of the instrument and the melody and the room. Uh, and so that's kind of like an improvisational, uh, like, uh, styling in some folk music traditions. And uh, and you also uh, have, like, just the micro, uh, you know, if everyone, like, has these micro variations, it also brings some synergy effect to to the... So that's... I really love that about folk music. But I really like about jazz that, you know, everyone just knows what's happening yeah. even though nobody's ever done it before <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah so it's just different approaches to and that i think like if you're a jazz player and you you play folk music with a jazz attitude that's like you're using the folk music as a base mm. to explore everything that's around the music yeah uh
0: yeah which can be very interesting like um yeah many jazz musicians obviously use different musical traditions than the kind of american jazz um tradition as a as a springboard for improvisation like many people obviously draw inspiration from western classical music and pop music even is very popular these days so yeah uh, but let's not try to define what jazz is but uh no
1: i think that's funny I, i i just recently listened to this interview with pat metheny where he calls jazz the j word (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because just nobody really likes that word anyway. No, uh, so yeah, yeah, hardly doesn't really mean much. Mm.
0: Okay, uh, I'm not gonna keep you all day. I think, um, but another uh, question here. Um, I mean, you obviously you made the banjo a big part of your musical career, but I mean you're doing tons of other things. You're coming out with a new solo record just after a new year. I hear which yeah. I'm looking forward to, which is not uh, folk. Well, maybe you will call it a folk music uh, album. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, the, quest- <laughs> the question is like, do you feel like this whole um, thing with the banjo has kind of labeled you in a way that you're not 100% comfortable with? Or is, uh, is it all good?
1: Uh, no, I'm actually, I had a couple of years where I, I kind of was very... Uh, you know, I was very aware that if I bring out the banjo in this setting, it's kind of going to give it some connotations that I don't want uh, to have. So uh, I have put out three solo albums uh, before this fourth one. And uh, the banjo role in, on those albums are very subtle uh, because I was thinking that it's going to collide with, uh, you know, some some of the other music that I'm doing and I want to do different stuff. So, I kind of just didn't play the banjo, but I played the guitar, but what I did was that I tuned the guitars like a banjo okay so so I've al always been doing that. I'm playing an open G and open D and stuff on the guitar, and I'm finding like voicing so the banjo stylings is always with me uh but that is also like a a thing that's going on in the seventies with like Joni mitchell uh and James Taylor tunes. And Rolling Stones also did some of that, you know. So, so it's just you know uh, using the banjo as a platform to and your understanding of the neck to bring it to another instrument and just trying to come up with interesting harmonies. And you know, that's I think that's like my main thing is just finding some quirky, unexpected small thing and just trying to fool people to like what they'd never heard before. Yeah. (laughs) But but it has to be, like, just on the breaking spot of, you know, that you almost feel familiar with it. And the small spice that you can add makes people like, yes, that was very rewarding because I understand what happened there or something. Cool. So... So I've been I've been uh, careful not to like brand things and stand, you know, press photos with the banjo. And yeah, <laughs> and like, uh, yeah, uh, and I guess that's, you know, partly because uh, the banjo is just one of many instruments that I love and and play and and stuff. So, yeah, so it, it can be labeling. Uh, and, you know, wherever you go, if you have a banjo, people are going to ask you to play. The tune from Deliverance or Man of Constant Sorrow or Wagon Wheel. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's like the three tunes. And if you're a listener and you listen to this, don't ever ask the banjo player to play Dueling Banjos, (laughs) Wagon Wheel, or Man of Constant Sorrow. It's just like going to an Irish jam and asking them to play Mason's Apron. Don't do it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just to prove that you know at least three titles that has the banjo in it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I mean, we we play the two instruments that probably has the most jokes related to them in the whole world. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> we should start a band. Yeah, we should. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yeah, but I know I feel like I, I've also, like, I've been a bit hesitant of, like, posing with the accordion on on press photos and stuff uh, because yeah. <clears throat> I realize that most people that have found me through social media and and like in recent years, when I've been mostly in the folk scene, they they see me as an accordion player, but, yeah. but I don't really know how I see myself anymore. Like uh, I probably see myself more as a like a keyboard player than an accordion. I I feel like an imposter, on, honestly, when people okay, talk yeah. about me as an accordion yeah. player.
1: Well, I love your I love your accordion playing and your organ playing. And we of course we you, you didn't say this, but we did play in a band together with yeah vinnie uh, Folk and uh, you know. And your harmonica playing as well, so it's just like a big power of different like you know, flavors that are very different and can contribute. Yeah, and but, I, um, I mean that's
0: very nice of you to say. Uh, on the mm, but I yeah on that note, I feel like what I do is like it's, it starts for me. It starts to feel like the sum of all the parts more than the individual things. Like I, I'm yeah. not the world's greatest harmonica player and it's probably too late for me to become the world's greatest uh, harmon organ player and definitely uh, definitely not going to compete for any uh, slots in the accordion world but (laughs) but uh, I feel like the the stuff that I do on the different instruments they kind of contribute to each other in a way Um, yeah and yeah there's a
1: synergy effect to whatever you're doing and I guess like that's I think you know the the age of the virtuoso is—it has been tipped over. Oh, that's interesting. You know, in in these that you know, you can see it. Uh, you can see a tendency on the internet. Uh, you know, with these uh, internet YouTubers, uh, that what's the, like their major strength? Well, it's that they can play mostly anything. Yeah. You know, so everyone's a multi-instrumentalist in 2022. And you have like these guys like Jacob Collier, or mm. Rick Beato, yeah. Like and, and they're these YouTube channel owners that that you know they can pick up a bass and they can like play just like Tone Eleven, and yeah. then they can play like the accordion. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, and and
0: yeah. and record it and mix it and make it sound great and yeah, all that yeah. stuff as well. So,
1: and I think that's. Uh, I think that's uh, an interesting, like, turn of events because, like, the virtuosic 90s, maybe especially, like... Yeah, I was also thinking
0: about the 90s when you you said
1: that. Yeah, because it's just everything culminated into that, you know, you could, as well as you could play your main instrument, that was who you were as a musician. Yeah. And that was how you were able to make a living because people were interested in, you know, seeing amazing musicians uh, playing amazing on the instruments. And people always will be. But now it's like whenever you play something that you think, oh, this is amazing, you'll go on, on the internet and find a five-year-old who can do <laughs> the that's, exact that's same the, thing. That's the
0: thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's and then maybe it, more important know... than ever to just stand out in in some way anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... Or well, that's so more important think...
0: than being like uh, very virtu- virtuistic or very... Um... Impressive in a way, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think, but I think like the combination of your interests is becoming more a part of your exterior identity. Yeah. Even though everyone might have been like that uh, 10, 20, f- 30 years ago, that everyone played, but you wouldn't do it on stage or you wouldn't like, uh, you know, you wouldn't be practicing and doing it in public in the same way. Uh, although there's always been these, you know, amazing. Multi talents. I think it's become more accessible for people in general to be, you know, to to uh, you know uh, grow their talents in yeah. different areas, mm. and it's been more acceptable and also more interesting. I think so. So that's like a you know contribution that uh, probably like the internet, but also like the the stages around the world has been more and more accepting to, you know, uh, for the multi-talents, I think. And uh, you can go pretty far back in time to the Renaissance. And, you know, that's what people were doing back then.
0: That's even the the term?
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh... like a Renaissance artist. Mm. That's like Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci. So he could make like Mona Lisa and he could also like design planes and war machines yeah, and uh, he also wrote like works about uh, color theory. Mm. Uh, so I think uh, like our time, the Renaissance artist uh, term is kind of become more relevant, and this is in in large degree because of computers and stuff. Yeah, um, but it's also uh, I think because you know the the development has shown that you know the virtuostic solo artist, it's kind of like self-indulgement in some sort of way. I'm not saying that I don't like it. It's just, you know, I think people are, are interested in uh, in different things. Yeah, at
0: least personally, I find I tire earlier of it. Like things, if it's if it's just impressive, like uh, obviously it can be a virtuosic and still very uh, exciting and fascinating but uh, yeah i I feel like it's definitely definitely um in 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 our time like these people who do a lot of different things that kind of weave together in a unique way Uh, and you're 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 for sure you're one of those people yourself so (laughs) um so um quickly before you go can you tell us a little bit about your upcoming album
1: Yeah, well, uh, we went to the studio uh, this July, uh, 2021. uh, And it was the first time I'd recorded uh, uh, with a bunch of people since uh, the pandemic uh, broke, I guess. So the first time I played my own music and uh, the record that I put out before, the one I'm uh, putting out now, it was like a solo effort. So I've been working on that for three years and then the shutdown came. So it's been like five years in solitude. But finally I got to play with, like, yeah. So we were like a quintet and uh, we had uh, three horns in and played my tunes. And they're all written kind of around my guitar playing that's tuned like a banjo oftentimes. And uh, I've written lyrics in Norwegian. Um, And uh, it's coming out the 25th of February. And it has kind of this, you know, this... Uh, somewhere in between folk and jazz and maybe like some of the singer songwriter like the country funk singer songwriter music from the 70s i love like bill withers for instance so so i that's uh, a thing about this album um and it's um yeah and it's about waiting the album has like this theme about waiting and uh, you know uh, having hopes for the future yeah. Which I think is a pretty relatable theme these <laughs> yeah, days.
0: Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so it'll we'll be out in February.
1: Yeah. 25th of February is the release date. So you have it'll any... be out on streaming platforms and CD.
0: Great. No vinyls this time.
1: No vinyls. Uh, no, no space under the could... bed anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> we could have done it. But I think it's, you know, I've, I've mastered and, and mixed the album myself. And I was like just doing the C D master. It's like this is what I want it to sound like. Uh, yeah. so I think the C D is gonna sound, you know, better than than the streaming. Uh so I'm going for that this time. Cool. And uh yeah. And we're playing uh we we had a considerable amount of funding actually, luckily. So so nice. we're going out and playing on the east coast and west coast this uh winter and spring. Of Norway, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have that big international uh like uh, people uh, listening to new Norwegian folk pop uh but uh it would certainly be fun, but I have other English projects when I, when that's like the goal is to go abroad, but yeah. Yeah. I like it uh I like it in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Okay, so um, thanks
0: uh, for coming on the show. I knew this would be a long one, and uh, oh, thanks I, for having I me. have yeah. a feeling we could talk uh, a lot longer. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I might ask you to come back at the later stage.
1: Yeah, that would be my pleasure. And there's, you know, we've almost only been talking about the banjo.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. that's <laughs> so. what I said. Like, there's tons of things yeah. we
1: could uh, go into. But speaking
0: yeah. of the banjo, do you think you could give us a tune just uh, to uh, to close the whole thing up?
1: I can try. I was thinking about talking about this translating folk tunes. Because I did this kind of translation of uh, Norwegian Langeleik, a dulcimer tune. A Halling, that's a dance tune. And... uh, uh, the thing about this uh, tune is that I tried translating it for like Clawhammer stylings. So it's a Halling from uh, Ragnar uh, Bredo Friedenberg, I think she's called. Um, it's just called a Halling. So I'm going to try just to, uh, you know, uh, uh, try to emulate some of the stylings for the, uh, the Langleik. <laughs>
0: Martin, thanks for coming on the Folk Music Podcast. Hope to see you around soon.
1: Thanks for having me. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Folk Music Podcast. You can find all the episodes and various forms of bonus content on the show website at thefolkmusicpodcast.com. And if you have uh, ideas for the show, whether that's um, people I should talk to or uh, topics I should cover, please send them my way you can reach out on social media or send me an email at podcast at gmail.com that's all for today I uh, wish you a great rest of the day and I'll see you in the next episode bye bye